Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Pardon if you can hear Elsa singing in the background, but my three-year-old just (laughs) took out her Elsa microphone and it's like blaring downstairs. Uh, So here with Kyle, we're going to get into some listener questions today, so that's exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before we get into them though, I want to make a quick announcement that my... um, my next Fueled in Fit is coming up March 12th. So registration's going to be open now, just a heads up. And um, it's the last time that I'm going to run this program as a live program where you get real-time access to me. Uh, my website and my business is going to go through some slight changes, and I'm not really sure when the nutrition program will be next available. I'm not saying that as a, as a marketing ploy. I just truly don't know at this point. So if it's something that you've been toying with and considering, I recommend jumping in it um, for March. So like I said, I'll link to the the registration. It's open now. I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, and it's just all about how to have your own real food revolution and how to put the ideas that we talk about on the podcast into action in your own home um, on your own time. So that's that. Cool. All right, so we'll start with the first question. This one is from Erica. Uh, She writes, I really am so obsessed with your podcast and anxiously wait for them to be released each week. I was wondering your thoughts on getting your body into ketosis as well as the keto diet slash lifestyle. I have done an extreme elimination diet for a little over a year now and have had great success. I've lost about 65 pounds and I do not eat, but I do not eat any grains slash carbs and no sugar, processed or natural. I have been fine on it, not feeling deprived, and I love my new lifestyle and eating habits slash relationship with food, but I wonder if there are any long-term side effects of this lifestyle. Thank you. So... Um, a few different things in that, in that, um, a few different questions. So I personally have never tried a ketogenic diet, but you have, Erin. So why don't you tackle this one and you can explain what it is and give a little personal perspective on everything. Yeah, I've actually been excited to talk about t- ketosis and a ketogenic diet. I attempted it exactly a year ago, last February. That's weird. Super weird. Um, And I always meant to write a blog post about it. Just like, like, yeah, I'll write a blog post about this like I do with everything and then just never end up doing it. So this is actually the first time that I'll publicly talk about my experience. So let's, let's 
um, start by clarifying what ketosis is. How do you get into it? Since that was one of her questions. Ketosis is a state where your body switches from using glucose as its primary fuel source to fat as the primary fuel source. Remember that your body preferentially chooses glucose over all other energy sources. And so since glucose is being used as primary energy, your fats are not being used and instead they're stored. And this is kind of like a very basic description, but just so you can kind of understand where we're going, that's that's kind of that's kind of the lay of the land. Um, and this is going to be especially true on a higher carbohydrate diet, something like the standard American diet and really even the the quote unquote healthy diet promoted by the USDA and my pyramid stuff. If you're eating a lot of carbohydrate, you have a constant and steady stream of glucose in the body because it's just constantly coming in. And that's going to be used as the main source of energy. But in the absence of carbohydrate and protein to a lesser extent, the liver breaks down fats, either dietary fat that we're eating or a body fat that's stored. And it breaks it down into something called ketones. And these ketone bodies are an alternate um, energy source for both the body and the brain. And the the whole theory behind this, uh, the reason that our bodies have this ability to produce ketones, it's an adaptation for times of famine. So when there's no food around, there's no glucose around. And when there's no glucose around, we can start to efficiently use our own body fat as a fuel source, as like a backup fuel source. And in order to manipulate your body into a state of ketosis, you have to starve, fast, or restrict calories for a significant period of time. So starvation will will force you into ketosis. And we already talked about on previous episodes why that's a really bad idea. So we don't want to get to a point where we're forcing ourselves into starvation um, because that can be a real stressor to the body. But you can also get there by dramatically lowering the intake intake of carbohydrate, and this is going to trigger the liver to produce ketones to be used as energy, and the body is induced into a state of ketosis, the same thing that Erica was asking about. It's really a metabolic shift where you've moved from a sugar-burning state to a fat-burning state. And so therefore, a ketogenic diet is very restrictive on carbohydrates. It's high-fat, moderate protein, and low carbohydrate. And this diet will trigger the body to produce ketones in the liver to be used as that backup energy source. And when I say low carb, it's typically under 50 grams of carbohydrates. That number is going to be different for everybody. Um, Everyone's going to get into ketosis at a different different carbohydrate threshold. Some people need to eat way lower than that, like 20 to 30 grams of carbohydrate. Um, And I'm usually, I'm talking uh, net carbs here where you're subtracting the fiber from the overall carbohydrate content, but it's, it's low carbohydrate. Yeah, I'm just gonna jump in here with some perspective because when we speak in terms of grams, it can sometimes be difficult for people to understand what that amount actually translates into for food. Uh, So a medium-sized banana or a cup of sweet potato both have 27 grams of carbs and about 3 to 4 grams of fiber. So that would count as a net total of 23 to 24 grams of carbs. So depending on what you choose for carbs and depending on the amount um, you need to limit to in order to get into ketosis – 
you can hit your limit pretty quickly. Um, so you're counting grams of carbs, you're counting grams of fiber, um, but you also have to worry about the other macros too in order for this to work. Right. And on a ketogenic diet, you're really not eating sweet potatoes or bananas. You're getting your right. carbohydrate, yeah, from from greens and, and non, non-starchy veggies. It's You're not eating fruit. You're not eating starch. Um <clears throat> For the most part. Um, So both carbohydrates and protein can prevent your liver from producing these ketones or it can kick you out of ketosis once you're there. So both are restricted on a ketogenic diet. And I think that's the part that's often overlooked or misunderstood. It's really not just low carb. A low carb diet is not the same thing as a ketogenic diet. It has to be low carb, moderate protein. So there's there's some degree of protein restriction and high fat, like super high fat. You'd kind of be surprised how much fat you have to add onto everything in order to in order to like hit the percentages and really like get your body there. Um, you cooking your veggies and tons of fat, you're buying fatty cuts of meat. Um, and then you're even adding more fat like avocado or mayo or more oil or something on top of that. So it's a ton of fat. I'm just like sitting here smiling because it's all bringing back memories. I remember you messaging me and some of the yeah, some of the messages you'd send me around, like just how much fat you just ate at your meal. Um, nuts. So yeah, nuts. So that was an awesome breakdown. And definitely in terms people can understand. So why don't we um, talk about some of the benefits of following the diet? Okay, so it can be very therapeutic, the ketogenic diet. I'm actually a big fan of it for some people. Um, It first came on the scene back in the 1920s as a way to control seizures in epileptic patients, including children, and it's really still used um, to this day with great success for that population. It can also improve mitochondrial function, which is like everything. I mean, when you think mitochondria, you think energy. So if we've got some issues with mitochondria, then you've got you've got some energy deficiency. Um, And it also reduces free radicals in the brain. And it has some effects on neurons. And because of this, it does have some implications for other brain degenerative diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, as well as bipolar disorder and many other psychiatric disorders. Um, And on top of that, it can be great for cognitive function like memory, um, reducing brain fog. That's really one of the reasons that I attempted it, truth be told, is to try to uh, reduce brain fog and kind of like make my brain feel sharper. It can also uh, reverse metabolic syndrome. So it can be a tool to improve insulin sensitivity. And I've seen that in some folks. Um, And then on top of that, it can be an effective tool for weight loss since without continuous glucose, if we remove the carbs, remember we're removing some of the glucose, um, insulin is reduced. And keep in mind that insulin is a storage hormone. It tells your cells to store, store, store. So without it, stored body fat is mobilized. Um, But you don't need, I want to just post this disclaimer here, you don't need a ketogenic diet to do that. You can simply reduce your intake of refined carbohydrate with something like a paleo diet. Um, We'll get into that in a little bit and you'll get the same effect there. So don't think that you'd have to go on a ketogenic diet in order to um, see some improvement with insulin sensitivity. But uh, keto diets can be effective for massive weight loss if you do have a lot of weight to lose, simply because in order to produce ketones, you have to mobilize stored body fat. 
<clears throat> so definitely beneficial for some serious conditions or extreme weight loss. But all in all, this can be a very restrictive diet to follow in terms of the amount of effort and thought that you have to put into your food every day. Yep. Um, like any significant dietary change, there's going to be a lot of a lot of tweaking and a big learning curve in the beginning. Um, but there are some there's some drawbacks associated with it that I really want to point out, especially since that's one of Erica's questions. Um, so like I said in the beginning of the show, I started this or I tried this about a year ago. And the reason that I tried it, I was feeling just really wonky at the time, super low energy. I had joint ache, brain fog. And I felt at that point I had done everything dietarily that I could do since being diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And I was hearing a lot about the health benefits of a keto diet. So that's really why I dug in and wanted to try it. And I'm all about N equals one experiments. That that just means experimenting on my own body to see how I respond to things. Um, and so I stayed on it for six weeks. I gave it the old college try. And honestly, I really didn't have the best experience. So I'll talk about some of the reasons why um, that was the case for me. And the first one is that becoming fat fueled, so switching over to ketosis is stressful to the body. You're basically forcing your body to do something that it's not used to. So it can be a little jarring and I definitely felt that um, in my own self. It's common, very, very common to experience something called the keto flu. So carbohydrates hold on to water. When you cut your carbohydrate, and this is this is true anytime you go low carb, when you drastically cut your carbohydrate, you dump a lot of water, and along with that go electrolytes and minerals, and that can make you feel like you are dying. It's like it's called the keto, or sometimes some people will call it the low carb flu because it feels like you have the actual flu. It's headaches, brain fog, fatigue, nausea, lightheadedness, dizziness, irritability, and that can last for up to a week. Um, I honestly did it. I remember this so distinctively. And I was journaling a lot too because I wanted to kind of keep track of symptoms and see how my body was responding. And I go back and I was like, it was like on my deathbed. I didn't get out of bed for three days. I couldn't work. I remember that so clearly. Like my brain wouldn't work. Like my brain was just not processing. Um, it just felt so, so terrible. And so without all of the promises of what it would be like on the other side, I definitely would have threw in the towel like on day two or three because I felt so bad. And I did all the things that I was supposed to do. Um, so there's certain like workarounds that you can do to kind of uh, reduce those symptoms um, of the keto flu, uh, like replacing water, make sure you're like cranking water, but also replacing electrolytes and minerals. I got a lot of rest. I did all the quote unquote right things, but it was still brutal. And mine, I mean, it, that lasted, I was in bed for three days, but then it like it lasted for a full week that I just felt terrible. I mean, four to seven days is no joke. It's not like people can just take a vacation to stay home and feel like crap. <laughs> I know. Like, and feeling like this on top of having to work and take care of your kids or just take care of yourself when you can barely get out of bed. It doesn't sound feasible for most people, even if it is temporary and only a week. I wonder how many people throw in the towel during this period probably a lot. <laughs> probably a lot. And I mean, I think that's just it. You really need to be committed to the cause and truly believe in it in order 
to stick with it. A ketogenic diet is not a quick fix for sure. I mean, you might have heard like, oh, this person lost a ton of weight, that person lost a ton of weight, whatever, but it's not a quick fix. And I think that um, you have to be dedicated and probably the people that stick with it are more in it for the health benefits, I would I would imagine. Because like, you know, we have talked about this before, but like I'm willing to change anything dietarily if it's going to make me feel better. Um but I probably wouldn't do that just to like lose five pounds. Yeah. I think if you're like you're having seizures multiple times a day, right. your your mindset is a bit more willing to do whatever <clears throat> it takes. And I should also point out here that there's there's because the ketogenic diet is so popular right now, there's a lot of supplements on the market, exogenous ketones. So these are ketone and exogenous just means it's coming from outside of your body. So you're t- you can take ketones that are supposed to ease some of those symptoms as you make a transition. I've heard some good things about them. They're really expensive. Um I didn't I didn't use them when I was when I was making it just because when I, I, they were so expensive and I just didn't really want to do that. I kind of wanted to like my body to do its thing. Um, but I will also say that exogenous ketones do not promote fat loss. So don't buy them thinking like, oh, I can just, and I'm saying this because people have asked me about this and people have done this before. (laughs) Um, they just buy these, these, uh, ketone supplements thinking that they can just like throw them on top of what they're already doing and just like lose weight. But that's, that's just not how the body works. So don't do that. Save your money. It's not, it's not like a magic weight loss, uh, bullet. Um, so anyway, I was saying that it was like pretty, pretty rough on my body. And I honestly, I kind of think that it prompted an autoimmune flare in me. I remember like Googling that like crazy. I spent so much time on my phone on Google <laughs> during those six weeks. <laughs> Just like, is this normal? Is this normal? But I was like, can a ketogenic diet uh, prompt an autoimmune flare? Because I felt so bad. And I really think it was in hindsight, I think it was the physical stress of trying to get into ketosis was just really hard on my body. And I can't say that for sure, but it's kind of my my sense. So carbohydrates are necessary for supporting the adrenal glands. And without adequate carbohydrate intake, the adrenal glands have to work harder to try to maintain adequate sugar levels in the body. So when you attempt a low-carb diet, whether it's ketogenic or otherwise, stress hormone levels rise even higher. And I definitely think this was the case for me because I was I was feeling the stress during these these six weeks. Um, on top of that, we need carbohydrate for thyroid hormone production. So I think that attempting low-carb or keto as a man is very different than attempting it as a woman. And I know we have a lot of lady listeners, so I want to make that distinction here that just because you you research keto online doesn't mean that it's going to, the effects you see are going to be the same as they would be in your body. The female body wants to feel fed. Um, we talked about what happens if a female body feels like it's in a period of famine in a previous episode, but basically fertility is turned off, thyroid production stalls, stress hormones ramp up and there's real potential for you to feel awful. Um, So I want to be really clear here that ketogenic is not low calorie. It is not low carb and low calorie. You're eating ample calories on a ketogenic diet. You're just shifting around your macronutrients. And the reason I want to point this out is because there's no doubt some listeners who heard the weight loss piece and kind of like perked up and hooked onto that and will bring their diet mentality to a ketogenic diet. And I say this with 
with love because that would have been my attitude too because that's the way I approached everything for 15 years. So just understand that if you are attempting a keto diet for health benefits, you absolutely need adequate calories. And even with that, even if you're doing it quote unquote right, it it still might be too hard for your body as a woman. So just understand that. Um, because this approach was so new to me, I actually joined a Facebook group, figuring it would be good to learn about other people's experiences. Um, like I said, I was like Googling everything. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to actual human beings. And so I followed a well-known woman's ketogenic nutritionist. Um, she comes with an eating disorder background. And so she's therefore really, uh, she really promotes listening to your body and, and, not being restrictive and like letting go of that restrictive mentality. But even with the Facebook, the Facebook group's appointed administrators, I found this like weird undercurrent of disorder and restriction, even with the administrators themselves. So to me, it felt like a really unhealthy environment. And I point this out in case there's listeners here that might be in that that similar environment or might stumble across it. I just found a lot of permission asking, like, is this okay to do? Is this? Is this? Um, and a lot of overthinking. And it was just such a stark contrast because I think about my fueled and fit groups and my nutrition groups and the Facebook groups that we have there. And sure, there's there's questions, but it's never this like frantic, needy, fix me mentality, which I think speaks really well to the way that I've established the program. It really promotes self-efficacy and self-trust versus blindly following rules or questioning what does the master say or seeking out a uh, like this savior. So I would be, I would caution people against that. If you, if you are attempting, whether it's a keto diet or something else, and you just feel like you're constantly like seeking answers outside of yourself, that might be, uh, uh, an, an indication that that diet's not the best for you. Yeah. And given that like the majority of women I know, us included, have some sort of disordered eating past, this sounds like it can be a risky diet to take on for most of us, um, for most of us women. And I'll also say it's one thing to have a big learning curve in the beginning when you're trying to figure out how to eat healthier and read labels and maybe feeling overwhelmed at times because of that. But if you're feeling stressed out all the time because of the numbers and the percents of your macros and trying to follow something down to the gram, the stress factor can absolutely outweigh any of the health benefits the diet might be able to offer. Remember that excess and chronic stress can actually cause you to hold on to or even gain weight. So mindset and stress play a huge role when following any kind of diet, especially one you hope to do long term and possibly adopt as a lifestyle. Right. Uh, that's a fair point. And in the beginning, um, this is kind of a weird thing, but you really can't exercise. You have to temper your exercise. And on top of that, you're super hungry. So in order, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like the perfect, it's like a disaster. I know. In, in order to adapt quicker, so to become fat adapted, you have to dial back the exercise just temporarily, not forever, but just as you make that transition, which can take, you know, up to six weeks. And the reason for it is that it increases the utilization of body fat and it speeds up ketone production more. So, so your, 
your body is feeling starving because you've cut off its primary fuel source. So you're hungry and then you're not really exercising as much as you might normally be. So if you do come from a disordered past, past it can just spell disaster as you can imagine. And you can just like really like start to get into your head and kind of spiral out of control. And then exactly like you said, the counting and the tracking, that made me crazy. You kind of do have to track though in the beginning just to make sure you're not eating too many carbohydrates that it would prevent you from getting into ketosis. And you need to make sure that you're you're eating enough fat to get you there. And I'm not talking like, you know, Kyle, you and I eat, eat a fair amount of fat. This mm-hmm. is like you have to go out of your way to, to eat more fat. It's, it's a lot. Um, I even bought a blood sugar monitor with special ketone st- uh, testing strips. They were like a million dollars. Like I had to like <laughs> remortgage my house in order to get them. <laughs> like, oh my just, God. Just like look away from the Amazon bill this week, Scott. Just look away. Um, so, I, but I wanted to measure ketones because I was like, if I'm going to put all this effort into something, I want to make sure that I'm actually like doing what what I'm attempting to do. But it, it, that got a little hectic for me. So I was tracking. I was like, you know really like hyper-focused on the portions of food and like how much I was getting and not from a restrictive place, just making sure I was like doing it right. And then I was testing my blood sugar, which actually kind of hurts. <laughs> my fingers were, were yeah. like toe up. Um, so I, and I went into it knowing that it would be hectic for me, especially in the beginning. I kind of gave myself permission for that because it's such a major and significant change that I knew it would take time to adjust, but I was just never really able to relax into it. I stuck with it for six weeks, but never in that six weeks did it ever feel easy or even natural for me. I was always second guessing myself. I was second guessing my food. I always felt hungry despite eating upwards of 3000 calories a day. Like I was getting a lot of food um, and I was just always hungry. There's supposed to be this kind of honeymoon point where your body's just humming along on ketones and your body's fat fueled and you don't feel hungry. And I never I never got there. Not not like one Jeez, single. Even after six weeks. Yeah. You know, when I was talking to a friend, I hope she doesn't mind. I'm not going to call her her name, but she was, she's been attempting the, the, the ketogenic diet and she's been on it for five months. And she said she's wow. just now feeling like, like that, that, that kind of like uh, honeymoon place that I was taught. I don't know why I keep calling it. Wow. It's like so weird, but um, yeah, five months. Five months. Five months. So again, it is not a quick fix. This is like something you commit to. Um, and I'm, that might not be the case for everybody, but um, just just to know that like you're not broken or wrong, if it is the case for you, it does can take your body very long time to readjust. Um, and you know, maybe I didn't give it enough time for my body. Maybe I I could have stuck with it, but after six weeks, I eventually just had to listen to my body, and my body's like, yeah, no thanks, I'm good, I'm good. I remember this is like so sad to admit, and but I remember one night toward the end toward the end of the six weeks just lying in bed and I couldn't fall asleep my you know when you feel stress like buzzing in your body I'm familiar with that feeling (laughs) (laughs) everyone listening slowly raises their hand (laughs) drops their head and raises their hand Uh. so I was like lying in bed I couldn't fall asleep because I was buzzing and I just kept being like I just need a few bites of a banana. I just need a few bites of a banana. This is so messed up. I can't even believe I'm admitting this on on the air. Um, and so I went downstairs into the kitchen and I ate a banana and it my whole body relaxed. Like my whole being relaxed. I immediately felt better. 
I think my body just needed the starchy carbs as a soothing balm to calm everything down. And then I fell asleep and then I woke up and I never did keto again. You finally hit the honeymoon period. I know. I just needed a (laughs) banana that whole time. (laughs) Somebody get this girl a banana. Um, (laughs) So to answer Erica's question about whether there are long-term side effects of this diet, You know, I'm not sure if she's on a keto diet right now or if she's just asking about it, but I think if you're doing it and you feel great and you're not experiencing any of the stuff that I just talked about, then keep on keeping on, you know? I think it can be a really healthful diet, but two things to be on the lookout for is one, if you're just focusing on the macros and not necessarily on food quality, that's not, you know, that's that's not really the best. Um, It's not just about macros and not just about restricting carbs and eating fat, but you also want to want to make sure you're getting good quality stuff and like that's kind of like a no-brainer you know we talk about that stuff all the time but then also if you're if you're eating so low carb like too low carb it's hard to get in the micronutrition like we were you know talking about earlier you're getting your your carbs from minimal plant sources and a diet of 20 grams of carbohydrates a day is not going to allow allow for enough nutrient-rich vegetables in my opinion I never want to see someone get getting to the point where they're weighing and portioning their vegetables unless there's a specific health need. Like so unless we're talking about one of the issues we were talking about earlier, I mean th- I think for the general population if you're if you're weighing and measuring your broccoli, that's ki- that's kind of a that's kind of an issue. Wouldn't you yep. agree? Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, that hurts my heart. Yeah. Um so with all of that said, if somebody still wanted to attempt a keto di- a keto diet, what tips do you have? Well, first, if you are, I mean, if you're not used to eating a higher fat diet, um, you might need some digestive support for fat. So you might want to look into some digestive enzymes. You want might want to look into, um, specifically, I like ox bile for fat, but maybe some liver support to help thin your bile, stuff like this that's going to give you that extra, um, that extra digestive support specifically for fat. Um, and if you are looking to do it, make sure you transition slowly. I think in hindsight, that's probably where I went wrong. I just kind of did it overnight. Although having said that I was eating a a paleo diet on the high fat side. So maybe that's not the case, but it's really not a quick fix. You kind of want to be in it for the long haul. And it does take your body a while to adapt to being fat fueled. Like we talked about, it's basically restructuring your entire metabolism and that's going to take time. So give yourself time to adjust. But having said that, if after a month or six weeks it's not working and you don't have like a major health concern that you're trying to uh, keep in check with this diet, maybe just say goodbye. It's not for everyone and it doesn't have to be for everyone and it might not be for you. So definitely if you have an a history of eating disorders, just be on the lookout for old habits, old patterns, old thoughts. If they come creeping back in, this is a red flag. Any way of eating, even healthy ones that cause stress, overthinking, and self-doubt, it's just not healthy for you. So, and that's that's perfectly okay. And you may want to reach out to a practitioner to help you get into ketosis gradually. I mean, even though it didn't work for me, I'm pretty well versed in the keto diet and how to get people there. And I, I am a fan of it in a lot of ways. So I'd be more than happy to help out if you if you think that's the right choice for you. Awesome. Okay, so let's move on to the next part of her question. And this is where she said, I've done an extreme elimination diet for a little over a year now. I wonder if there are long-term side effects of that lifestyle. 
So I'll start off by explaining what elimination diets are. There are many different kinds of elimination diets, autoimmune paleo or AIP, specific carbohydrate, FODMAP, candida, low histamine, even just eliminating gluten and dairy. All of these are considered elimination diets just by the fact that you're eliminating food groups as a whole or eliminating specific foods. The purpose of elimination diets is to find out what foods you're having, allergic reactions, intolerances, or sensitivities to. If you're dealing with digestive issues, headaches, low energy, depression, skin issues, joint aches, even asthma, these are all examples of reasons to see if it's food related. Most people don't realize how a food is affecting them until you take it out of your diet. So how it works is you typically spend three to four weeks eliminating foods that are known to cause the most problems. You kind of clear the field by doing this. Reset your system and your symptoms subside. Weeks later, you reintroduce foods one by one. I've seen this done one food every two days and uh, one food per week because sometimes reactions aren't immediate and can take several days to show up. During each reintroduction, you pay super close attention to how you're feeling. Do you have any digestive issues like diarrhea, constipation, gas, bloating? Do you have fatigue, mood changes, headaches, muscle or joint pain, skin reactions, which was a big one for me, um, a stuffy or runny nose, itching, insomnia, even just not feeling great but you can't quite put your finger on it? All of this can be related to food. So if you have a reaction to something, you continue to exclude it. If you don't have a reaction, then you can add that back into your diet. It's super important to note that oftentimes once you heal the gut and take out the you know current offenders, you can possibly reintroduce them again down the road. Maybe you try again three months later and it goes really well then, or maybe you have another reaction. And if that happens, then you might wait another six months before trying again. Can you tell them about your skin reactions? Just because I think we like this is such a common misconception. I know you already said it, but I want to drive the point home that like food reactions aren't just just GI stuff. It's not like, oh, my belly hurts or I have gas. Oh, man. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Um so I get like red dots. It almost looks like there's a tiny, tiny pinprick in the middle of them that almost looks like a scab. And I would get them um, on my clavicle, um, all on my chest and all um, up and down my back. Um, I also had, I would have reactions to just about everything. Skin was like the biggest thing for me. I would have, um, I'd get reactions from earrings sometimes. I would get reactions to jewelry. I mean, I was just, before when I had all this stuff going on, skin was like my, that was my um, my Your weakest signals. link. It was my weakest link. Everything would come out through my skin in one way or another. I'd get random rashes and hives. Um, I had... Uh, perioral and uh, peri um, uh, orbital dermatitis, um, which you can Google that. I had that for uh, six months. Um, and I think that was just a, a, you know, just part of the mix. It was just more gas to the fire, you know, just stress uh, of everything. So the skin stuff, it, it can, it can be, yeah, that was a big one for me. So 
Um, so many people can add, you know, all these foods back in after a period of time. Obviously, you know, if you continue to have reactions or if the reactions are severe right off the bat, then you would not want to keep trying to reintroduce that. You also might have a reaction that you can tolerate, say acne, for example. So maybe you choose to have that food, for example, dairy, on occasion in small amounts, just making sure you're not overdoing it. Um, that is, that's what that's like for me. If I'm not uh, to a tea with cow's milk dairy or goat goat milk um, dairy, then um, I will, if I have too much, I'll wake up with the red dots within just overnight. It's like instantaneous. Um, so the trick with the elimination diet, and this is the most important part, is you have to be 100% compliant, which is why it's a lot easier just sticking to whole foods so you don't have to worry about things sneaking into ingredients lists so that you're not that you're not supposed to be eating because even trace amounts will skew your reaction when you go into reintroductions because technically you didn't really eliminate the food to begin with. Yeah, just yesterday my friend texted me her daughter, she has a baby and that's exclusively breastfed and is having all sorts of like, you know, bowel issues. Hattie had the same thing and so I had to give up dairy and soy, which is the two the two that they start with because they're the most common, but <clears throat> with soy, it's not just like she's like, "Well, I don't eat soy cuz I or like sometimes edamame, but with soy it's like soybean oil, mm -hmm. soy left lecithin, you know, in chocolate and it's it these things work their way into everything. So to your point, sticking with whole foods really make sure that you are avoiding these things and you don't have to be so crazy about like reading every ingredient list. Exactly. Yes. Um, and the same idea with the reintroductions. You're using a certain amount of a whole food, not a processed food or a complex food made with other ingredients. The types of foods and the amounts that you're using for reintroductions are super important Um when doing that phase of the diet. So, and just like what Erin said about the keto diet, this is not a calorie restricted diet. The idea isn't to cut out food groups to somehow eat less and lose weight because of that. You want to make sure you're eating plenty of food and drinking plenty of water. So the benefits of an elimination diet. Well, blood tests aren't always dependable or accurate. Um, especially if you're getting them when you have leaky gut going on. I had a blood test and I mean, everything under the sun showed up. Um, so the elimination diet is the gold standard for food issues because your body doesn't lie. And if you truly eliminate something from your diet for an appropriate amount of time, if you do have a reaction to that food, you're going to be able to tell when you add it back in. Some blood tests might give you skewed results that could uh, could lead you to excluding something that you didn't need to. Other times they can they can help you do a more targeted elimination diet or confirm a suspicion that you had about food. Just keep in mind that again, if you have leaky gut going on right now, it, you're going to have a lot of different things show up. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can't ever have those foods again. Um, so the long-term, you know, she asked about what the long-term, well, she said she'd been on an extreme elimination diet for the long-term. So these diets can be super stressful, and I strongly encourage you to consider what else is going on in your life when you're attempting to do this. 
For me, I was planning an out-of-state wedding. I was beyond stressed. And the elimination diet I did uh, was gluten, grains, dairy, soy, nightshades, alcohol, sugar, nuts, seeds, corn, eggs, beans, chocolate, and caffeine. It was intense. I'm like chuckling just thinking about it. I'm shaking my head. It was. We, but the thing is, like, intense. I'd be like, how are you doing? You're like, fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's I'm fine. like, everything's fine. It's not. Everything's fine. <laughs> Planning a wedding. I'm not allowed to have wine or chocolate. Everything's fine. Uh, so I started eating animal products again because of this. I was a vegetarian for <laughs> eight years up to this. This was the moment. I didn't have this, like, oh, I've been craving meat lately. No, an elimination diet, like, I just didn't have have nothing else to eat. Yeah. Like, so I immediately started eating meat again. So, what I was eating was whole foods, high quality animal proteins, tons of plants and root vegetables, healthy fats, fermented foods, and a little bit of fruit. This is why it's really important to work with a practitioner like Erin or myself so you can get some guidance around everything and you're not hungry and miserable all the time. Yeah, and so you're not missing out. It's really hard to do an elimination diet and still get in nutrients. Like that's yeah. that's really tough. Especially if you come from a diet that has a lot of packaged food, it, it's, it's going to be a challenge. Um, and this is... You know, you definitely want to work with a practitioner, especially if you come from an eating disorder background, too, because this can be very triggering and it might not be the best choice for you, even if you do work with a nutritionist and a therapist while you do it. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about this on the show before, but when I attempted autoimmune protocol because I had diagnosed autoimmune disease and I was like, this is the way that I have to fix myself and heal myself. It was I was such a mess, uh, such a mess. And it was really, really triggering for me. Um, Yeah. You know, and it was it was just crazy. Like people would be like, oh, my God, you're so skinny. I'm like, yeah, because I can eat two foods. I'm miserable. I did this during um, the summer and it was really, really, I mean, anyone that knows me knows uh, I am like jumping out of bed at seven every Saturday to go to the farmer's market. It is my church. I absolutely love it. And it was really, really hard to go with all of these rules. It it definitely, it wasn't as enjoyable as it you know, it was supposed to be. And there's no eating out. It's like, ne- oh, no, there's no. Oh, no. Out. You. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, so anyway, it, it should have been a time in my life where I was trying to calm my nerves with all the planning and anticipation. But instead, it it sent me over the edge, not being able to go out to eat, no wine, just tons of stress around food. And ironically, my wedding food was pizza and cheesecake. (laughs) So when I was, I was really stressed that I wouldn't be able to enjoy that. I had, you know, all my, my best friends coming down for a bachelorette party. I was worried how I was going to do that. I mean, it was, I ended up getting shingles because (laughs) of the stress. I mean, it's not funny. It's not funny. Like it was so bad. I, I remember going into my doctor's office and just like sobbing, sobbing. Um, one of those visits where they just sit there and they hand you the box of tissues and you're like, it's fine. Um, so we decided to, you know, scale back on the diet. Um, and basically I had to start it all over again after the wedding. 
And my point in saying this is you just, you need to create an environment that is going to promote success, stress management, adequate sleep, emotional support. If it's a super stressful time in your life, no matter how much you want to get answers now, it might be better for you to wait a bit longer until things are less stressful and you can handle it. So now we kind of broke down what an elimination diet entails. We can round back to her question. I I know um I know she says she doesn't feel deprived and that she loves how she's feeling, but I do have some questions about it all. When she says extreme elimination and long-term and lifestyle together, that's kind of a red flag for me. Now, keep in mind, we only have the question to go off of, so I have no idea if she did this working with the practitioner, why she decided to do this, what her reactions have been like so far, and what the reason is for it being so long-term and, in her words, extreme. But from what we do know, my mind goes right to the long-term effects on the microbiome and the loss of tolerance. Wouldn't you agree with that, Erin? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, that's the probably the biggest down. I mean, outside of the stress factor and the socialization factor, it's hard to have a social life when you're on like a restrictive diet. Um, the biggest downside to me is is you're not appropriately feeding the bacteria that reside in your large intestine. I'm not talking about an elimin- like a three, four-week elimination diet here. I'm talking long-term, which is what the question was. Um, so you're not feeding the bacteria that live in your in your gut, um, also known as the gut microbiome, and therefore you lose diversity. Those bacteria thrive off a wide variety in your diet. It's one of the main reasons that we're always stressing variety, specifically with plants. Um, and I speak at length about why a diverse microbiome is so important to my health, uh, sort of, <laughs> not just my health, everybody's health. <laughs> such a narcissist not just about you Erin <laughs> uh, but I, I I talk about this in my gut if you've been to my gut workshops you've heard this like at length and if you want to come and hear me talk about it more uh, I am doing one it, uh, symmetry yoga in Lee that's going to be on March 10th but just understand um, we need diversity for health commensal bacteria that's the, the good bacteria they maintain our immune system. They help to regulate the immune system. And we need diverse bacteria in order to maintain something called oral tolerance, like you said, Kyle. Oral tolerance, it's not really something that's often talked about or even understood. And it's different than the whole process of leaky gut. I think we've heard a lot about leaky gut. Oral tolerance is something totally different. It's the immune system's ability to tolerate food and respond to bacteria and pathogens. It's basically like the the ability to differentiate friend from foe. So if we lose oral tolerance, we lose the ability to respond to food appropriately. And then the immune system can start reacting to foods, which is not something that we want. We want the body to be able to recognize food proteins as food, not launch an attack against them. So if you lose oral tolerance, you can start to become sensitive to more and more foods. And that's why someone who starts off on a restrictive elimination diet and stays on it long term can end up with a very short list of foods that they can tolerate. Basically, they just keep coming becoming more and more sensitive to more and more food. So they end up with like a very short list. Um, Personally, I've only seen this a few times in my practice, but 
but most people coming to me aren't on elimination diets. Um, and I do know that this is like a pretty major widespread problem in the whole autoimmune world that stay on these diets long term. So the point point is, if you're attempting an elimination diet, there needs to be an exit strategy in place. If the food sensitivities are there, those need to be addressed. They need to be healed um, in order to stamp down the inflammatory response and stamp down the stress response response in the body. I'm not questioning that. I think elimination diets definitely serve a purpose, and Kyle went into great detail about that. But, but once you figure it out, you need to move on and then create a diet that works for you. There really is truly not one diet. There's only your diet that's appropriate for your body in this phase of life. Um, now, elimination diets can be a means to figuring that out for yourself, but it shouldn't be the end game. Like you don't go on an elimination diet and be like, this is it. This is the way I eat now, right? Um, I, I'll even admit that my my nutrition program, the three-week program, does offer a type of elimination diet. So if you're – so I'm not, I'm not knocking them at all. Um, and if you're looking to attempt one under the guidance of a practitioner, definitely sign up for March's program. Um, but always keep in mind that diet is a helper. It's not the center of everything. Other areas of life need to be examined. It wasn't an elimination diet that helped me heal from autoimmune disease. Although I do eat a whole foods, somewhat paleo diet, so I do have a good base, but there's a lot of other work involved too. So yeah, I will also say here, like, just to clarify, the only foods that I still exclude are gluten and dairy. Everything else on that list, I've I've been able to reintroduce, but I was n- not able to make strides in healing until I got my stress under control. It was it was the diet had ended before that. It wasn't. It was months and months later until the stress was, you know, finally starting to be addressed that I actually saw improvements. So it is not the center of everything. Totally agree. And that's kind of why we keep reinforcing that idea that stress trumps diet. Yep. So we don't really know if Erica's on an elimination diet for health reasons or if she's just doing keto to lose weight. And keto isn't an elimination diet. So Like Kyle was saying, we need some more details from Erica in order to answer her specific question directly. But I do think this is a good convo for for listeners who have heard about elimination diets or have tried them in the past or are thinking about them. Um, And I want to emphasize here, too, that I am not knocking a ketogenic diet. I've seen it work great for some people. But it is very popular right now, and we don't want to see people thinking that they have to do it just because they keep hearing about it and keep seeing it everywhere. We don't want people to think that that's like the only way to get healthy or to lose weight. Right. Okay. So next question. These are awesome questions, by the way. I'm like so pumped about both of them. So next question is from Nicole. She said, I love your podcast. Is Would that you... why you're pumped about them? Because they keep saying it. <laughs> they both start with compliments. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. Um, Would you and Kyle be up to talk about paleo lower carb diets? Beneficial or unnecessary? So I love this question because I, I think it's, it's such a common misconception that paleo is essentially the new Atkins diet. It's like all meat mm-hmm. all the time and no carbs. But that's really not the truth. Um, 
paleo does not necessarily mean low carb. And since we were just talking about keto, paleo and ketogenic diets are not one and the same. You can do a paleo version of a keto diet, but you can also eat a ton of carbs on a paleo diet, like fruit, dried fruit, starchy roots and tubers like potatoes, sweet potatoes, yucca root. Paleo is really just a movement away from processed food. And for that reason, I am a huge fan. Um, mm-hmm. It's I don't think it's it gets it gets some bad press with like, I think, dietitians. And oh, yeah. It does. Oh. Oh, I've had to bite my tongue multiple times in groups of dietitians where they specifically talk about it in a way that it is a meat, 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 meat diet. And I, it's just sometimes I just don't have the energy to be like, actually. So is yeah. that the biggest knock is that they just think it's meat centric? Yeah, it's just they just don't fully understand it, I think. And and I say this from a place of being one of those people. If When I would talk about a paleo diet, I mean, five years ago, even four years ago, I assumed that it was a meat-heavy diet. I did not know enough about paleo to to really understand it, and that was my assumption, and I think that's where a lot of people's initial assumption goes. Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, but it's really, it's not so much a diet as it is a movement. The way that I see it in the, uh, the paleo that I subscribe to anyway. Um, and I align with it because it, it focuses on food source and sustainability. I know that I've mentioned, excuse me, <clears throat> mentioned Diana Rogers on the show before, but she is big in the paleo movement and she's really pushing for that sustainability piece. And she's a dietitian. And she's a dietitian. Um, but anyone big in the paleo world, like Rob Wolf, Mark Sisson, Chris Kresser, they all promote proper food sourcing. So not it's not just eating meat for the sake of eating meat, but sourcing properly raised animals from farms, you know, as an example. And they also promote certain lifestyle habits, like getting out in nature, getting plenty of sleep, getting sunshine, resetting circadian rhythm, moving your body often. So to answer Nicole's question, is it beneficial or unnecessary, if we're looking at paleo paleo as an overarching lifestyle, then I think it's not only beneficial, but absolutely essential to health. Um, like I said, it's not its not just a diet. I see it as more of a return. We're living in, in an evolutionary mismatch where our external environment has changed way quicker than our internal environments can change. Our genes haven't adapted to our new ways of living and eating. So it's causing health problems. Um, and to some extent, a paleo diet or a paleo lifestyle begs that we start to give our genes the stimulus that they've evolved to expect. And as far as the food piece goes, um, a paleo diet is one that reduces or eliminates grains, beans, dairy, and gluten. Am I forgetting anything? I don't think so. I think those are the biggies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think everyone in the world needs to avoid these foods, especially grains and beans. Uh, but it, it can be incredibly healing for some people to do so. I myself eat a primarily paleo diet, but I'm also not dogmatic or rigid about it. Um, keep in mind that I do have an autoimmune disease, so I, I need to be exceptionally conscientious about food. But the way I live my life trumps whether or not I have some beans in my chili one night. 
Uh, yeah, I think a lot of these people now, the names that you mentioned are are also promoting like modified paleo diets too, so that you're still having some flexibility around it. Um, sure. You're just like, not going off the deep end with all of the the grains, the beans, the gluten, and the, and the dairy. For sure. Um, I mean, I'm always pushing to add more foods into my diet. Like I'm constantly testing, can I get away with beans? If so, how many? How did my body feel with some gluten-free grains? Because my end goal is to see how many foods I can get away with eating while maintaining my health. It's not how many foods can I cut out and how restrictive can I be, right? Yep. Awesome. I so love that. Did that answer you, the question? Well said. I mean, I completely agree with all of that. I think there are a lot of great paleo resources out there if people want to learn more about that. Um, and yeah, these are great questions. Keep them coming. Yeah. And if, um, I mean, I know we touched a lot upon the keto stuff. If you guys have any more specific questions about that, or if Erica, if you're listening and you want to write back in with, with you know, piggybacking on what we talked about, feel free to do that. But until next time, you guys, <laughs> I don't even know what I was going to say. I don't know. See do, ya. Do the most. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.